Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. In the Bible, we often see miracles or events being accomplished by small things, whether it's a jar and a torch, a small amount of oil, or just five loaves and two fish. God does so much more with just the little things. You're listening to Small Things That Satisfy by Pastoral Care Associate Chad Borsma. Our scripture reading tonight comes from the book of Mark. Mark chapter 6. If you're using the Pew Bibles, it's page 1566. 1566. We'll be reading Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. This is the word of the Lord. All four of them, all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, include this miracle in their book. In fact, except for Jesus' resurrection, it is the only miracle 
included in all four gospel accounts. Why is that? If we were to invite the gospel writers here tonight to have them step up to the lectern and give their reason for including this story in their book, the one who might be most interesting to hear would be John, I think, the one who repeated only 10% of his material found in the other Gospels. That means the vast majority of his content is unique to John only, and yet he too includes the feeding of the 5,000. Some commentators believe it's included because it shows Jesus meeting both people's physical needs as well as their spiritual needs. Others think, and I'm inclined to agree, that the story's importance lies in the way it leads to the table, which was such a central part of worship life in the early church. The story in Mark's gospel begins with a conversation, a conversation between the disciples and their teacher as they gather around him. Jesus, we have been preaching the good news just like you told us to, and people are leaving their sinful ways. We saw others who were sick, many from disease, so we anointed them with oil, and they were healed. We were even able to drive out demons from some people. Knowing how busy they had been and that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus says to the disciples, Come with me. Let us go to a quiet place and get some rest. A great idea indeed. Finally, the opportunity to take a break, the disciples possibly mutter. So much, however, for the best-laid plans. By the time Jesus and the disciples arrive on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, a crowd has assembled to see Jesus. This happens many times, of course, in Jesus' ministry, and this time is no exception. Jesus takes one look at the mass of people, and he has compassion on them. They are sheep without a shepherd. He sees their spiritual need, and so he begins to teach. We can almost hear the disciples begin to grumble amongst themselves as the scene unfolds. What is he doing? What about our time of rest? He knew we were hungry. No one in the crowd meant to be out there that long, but that's how it should be, listening to Jesus as if time didn't exist. The breaking point, though, comes as the day draws closer to its end, when the disciples stay silent no longer. This is a remote place, Jesus, a wilderness. Send them away so they can go to nearby farms and villages 
and get something to eat. A reasonable suggestion? Not really. Where is a crowd that large going to find something to eat in nearby towns and villages at that time of day? The situation is beyond human possibilities. And the disciples are focused on just one thing. Get them out of here, Jesus. Just get rid of them. That's their thinking. Thinking that is in sharp contrast to Jesus' compassion for the people. Of course, the plot gets even better with what happens next with Jesus' next idea. His idea of how to meet the people's physical needs. He looks at the disciples and he says, You feed them. What? The disciples respond. Us? With what? We would have to work for over six months to earn enough money to buy bread for that crowd to be able to eat. Jesus' line of thinking is beyond their comprehension. And their tone is downright disrespectful. We read later in verse 52 that their hearts were hardened. That's the Greek word poro, which means literally to petrify, to turn to stone, to become callous. How did they become like this? Weren't these the same twelve who went out to the villages doing the Lord's work, following his instructions to take nothing with them? And yet, God provided for them. He blessed their work abundantly. Had they forgotten so quickly what God can do? Some have labeled the disciples as slow learners, perhaps rightfully so. Or were they responding this way because they were fatigued and in need of rest, in need of Sabbath? Whatever the reason, the disciples see Jesus' instructions as completely impossible. In their human thinking, there is no way his plan can work. At times, our thinking is limited as well. I read once of a small boy who had a toy fire truck, complete with sirens and flashing red lights. It eventually stopped working, however, and without seeking an adult's help, the boy went to throw it in the trash. He thought the toy was finished, done for. He didn't see how it could work again. His dad caught him in time, and with a grab into a drawer full of batteries, the fire truck was brought back to life again. Often, we struggle with situations that are far more serious than broken toys that need batteries. 
One of the things I often hear as I have gone about visiting people in the last month is their concern for children and grandchildren who have walked away from the faith, who are no longer attending church. This is a valid reason for concern. I'm sure many of us are aware of it. Recently, I heard a study from Eastern Illinois University that found out that 44% of Generation Z, that's ages 18 through 25, are either atheists, agnostics, or followers of no particular religion. Even more troubling is that only 41% of that generation describe themselves as Christians, meaning non-religious people outnumber Christians in that generation for the first time ever. The study also points out that Gen Z is getting more non-religious over time. News like this should drive us to our knees. And for many, it does. One of our members shared with me that she has a prayer list of people who have walked away from the faith, people who are wandering. And each time she hears of one, she writes down that name and adds it to her list. What an example for us to be people who pray in faith, people who proclaim the words of Psalm 86, verse 10, as we did tonight. Lord, you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. But let's be honest. Oftentimes we hear news like the statistics I quoted, and we feel overwhelmed. If we quote Psalm 86 at all, we do it with far less confidence. Perhaps it comes out as just a whimper. Satan places doubts in our minds, unbelief in our hearts, and as a result, we like the disciples, don't see how God can possibly intervene to solve the problem, don't see how he can bring about the change that's needed. We become, as James says in his book, chapter 1, verse 6, like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. As the disciples stand there, filled with their own doubt, they hear Jesus ask, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. They return, likely with more sarcasm in their voice, only five barley loaves and two fish, Jesus. That's all there is. Jesus instructs them to have the crowd sit down on the green grass, a place of refuge and rest in the midst of the wilderness, much like the image we heard tonight in Psalm 23. 
The crowd sits in groups of fifties and hundreds. And Jesus, meanwhile, takes the five loaves and the two fish. He looks up to heaven, gives thanks, and breaks the bread. He gives the broken loaves and the two fish to the disciples to distribute to the people like a shepherd feeding his flock. The conversation amidst the disciples probably went something like this. This is never going to work. What is he thinking? Look at the number of people out there. There's probably more than 10,000 when you count the women and children as well. Their thoughts, though, likely shift as the meal progresses and the food continues to be plentiful. Andrew, Philip says, have you run out yet? Not me, Andrew replies. Each time I bring food to another group, there's still enough. I can't believe it. Peter probably chimes in. This crowd isn't just snacking on the bread and fish. They're being filled. They're being completely satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples turn into the cleanup crew and each one is able to collect a basket full of leftovers, broken pieces of bread and fish, a sign, as it turns out, that there was enough to go around, or rather, that there became enough to go around. In this story, Jesus calls the disciples to be active participants in the miracle, not passive ones like they were in previous miracles. And he asked them to come with everything they have. It's a small amount indeed. The staples of a peasant's diet, common, ordinary things. But with Jesus, all they have is enough. It's sufficient. In our lives, just like with the disciples, God often uses small, ordinary things to accomplish his mission, to bring fulfillment, to bring satisfaction. At a previous church where I served as the worship director, I met a dear couple the first Sunday I was there. They introduced themselves to me before the evening service. He's Henry, and I'm Henrietta, she said with a twinkle in her eye. Then she looked at me and added, you won't forget our names. They were right, nor would I forget the kindness they showed me over the next two and a half years. Even after leaving the position at the church, I was able to visit them on multiple occasions first to see both of them, and then after she died, to just see Henry, just to see Henry, rather. They had told me how she would play the piano, and they would sing together in the living room, a pastime they both loved. 
Sometimes, from the way she described it, they would almost play a name-that-tune activity. She would play a song and then look at him. Do you know that one? It seems he usually did. When scheduling a visit with Henry one time, I asked what he thought about me playing the piano and us singing together. He was all for it. By the time I arrived, he had the songs picked out, the hymn books ready to go, and the papers in the correct pages. We sang a number of favorites. But then when I swung around on the piano bench and looked at Henry, I saw there were tears in his eyes. And I wondered if the singing idea had been a bad idea. But then I realized those were tears of joy, tears that flowed from the good memories Henry had of his wife, who he loved so much and who he missed so much. He thanked me multiple times for coming and asked if we could do it again the next time I came. For those of you who have visited people, perhaps you're a pastor or a retired pastor, maybe you're a pastoral care elder, a former deaconess, or as we call them now here at LaGrave, pastoral care assistants, you know that what you receive when you visit these people is often greater than what you give. Often God provides more blessings to the visitor than he does to the one being visited. How is that possible? That God uses a small amount of time, usually just one hour out of the whole month, to provide such fulfillment. Just like the disciples in tonight's text, We can't fully comprehend, can't fully wrap our minds around how God can use such small things to make a difference in his kingdom and in the lives of his people. Tonight, we come to the Lord's table. And as we do, we have the privilege to remember Christ's sacrifice We have the privilege to commune with him and to feel his presence. We have the privilege to be spiritually fed, to be satisfied, and to receive God's grace. And God does all this with a small piece of bread and a small amount of juice. It's hard to understand how he does this by his Spirit, but by faith we believe what the Belgic Confession says, that Jesus Christ has given us this Holy Supper to nourish and to sustain those who are grafted into his family, into his church, just as truly as we take 
and hold the sacraments in our hands and eat and drink them in our mouths, so truly we receive into our souls for our spiritual life the body and the blood of Christ, our only Savior. God satisfies us in an amazing way by using simple things at the table. This evening, and in the days ahead, may we marvel, may we give thanks at how God uses things that seem small, some loaves of bread and a fish, a visit to a homebound person, the elements used for communion to bring blessing and satisfaction to his people. But may we also be willing participants, those who come to Jesus with everything we have, however insignificant that may be. As Jesus says, bring them here to me. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Loving Father, thank you that you are a God who is beyond our thinking, who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Continue to move in mighty ways in a world that so desperately needs to see your magnificent power and to feel your great compassion. Use us as your people to accomplish your mission as we surrender all we have to you. In Jesus' name, and by the power of your Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.